just going to keep going uh, forever. I, I just want to say, I don't think uh, you were sufficiently impressed with the domino setup that I spent all that time doing. Uh, can I, just a little bit of thank you, Chip. I mean, man, it took me, it took me weeks to do that. I had to do it twice because we had it first service too. All right. I know you don't believe me. That's cool. Hey, Easter is only four short weeks away. I don't even know if that's even on your radar, but it's kind of a big deal as far as the church calendar for the year uh, where we get to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. And so what we want to do uh, with the series Chain Reaction is just kind of talk about what it looks like for us as a refresher and a reminder, what it looks like for us to live out our faith, what Jesus has done for us, how that impacts our life, and the chain reaction, the domino effect that we have and, and what that looks like. So I just got to ask, have any of you actually played dominoes, like the real actual game? You might have dominoes at your house, but how many of you have actually played? Okay, I don't think, about, about the same as first service, I don't know that I've ever actually played a real game of dominoes where you line up the pips and all that kind of stuff and, and keep track and all that kind of thing. I think the only reason that I've used dominoes is to set them up for five hours and then topple them over for 30 seconds. I don't know why that is. I don't know why that's so popular. Uh, there's one guy who's credited with this. His name is Bob Specka, a uh, very interesting name. He came on the Johnny Carson show in 1974 from his basement and set up a bunch of dominoes and tipped them over, and it took the world by storm. I mean, that, like, that's why we have domino toppling as a thing, where people have festivals, it's shown on TV, it's all over YouTube, it's kind of a crazy thing. Which is, which is really interesting. We have this whole word and phrase and idea that comes from that, the domino effect, which has nothing to do with why dominoes exist. And so somewhere, there's this 12th century Chinese person, because from the historical record, that's where dominoes comes from, who's like, what, what in the world? I tried to come up with this really cool game for my family to play, and everybody's just setting them up and knocking them over. Like, whatever, you know? So they're kind of disappointed. It just came up with a new way to, you know, win money from their friends, and, and nobody is using it the way that he planned and intended it for, which is crazy. I know none of you have gambled dominoes or anything like that. It's crazy. Um, but... There's this huge domino effect, this ripple effect, this butterfly effect that has been left throughout history, unintended, unintentional consequence and impact based on somebody doing something with dominoes that weren't a part of the original intent. Now, you've not lived until you've spent the time and effort to make an impressive domino toppling display until you've accidentally knocked it over too early and ruined it all. Have you done that before? And it's just one of, those, it's one of those rites of passage in life that you need to do that at some point and feel that disappointment. On the flip side to that, there's nothing greater than getting your kids or other people to say, oh, man, that was awesome when you finally like, set up this amazing domino uh, toppling uh, setup and you have it going up steps and all that kind of stuff. Man, that, that's a cool feeling too. These intended and intentional and unintentional consequences that we have in life. Bob Specka, I mean, this guy never imagined that he would get paid to do commercials and TV from his basement hobby and inspiring people all over the world to topple dominoes. But you also have never heard of him and don't know what he looks like either. Intentional and unintentional consequences from life. As children, we were all at the mercy of some sort of domino effect in our lives. We didn't get to pick who our parents were or are, what our social standing was or is, what kind of religious influences we had. There were events and actions taken that affected us 
and impacted our lives even now. Some of them were good and great. Some of them were bad and terrible. After living in Ohio for a time, I know some of you grew up calling soda pop, which is awful. Some of you grew up without sweet tea and knowing what that is. Some of you grew up without love in your food. And if you're from the South, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right? But, you know, it's not your fault you were raised incorrectly. As you get older, the more independence you gain, the more decisions and actions that you take on for yourself, you start to, hopefully, not always, this is kind of a big sign of maturity here, but you start to recognize your own personal responsibility and the impact that you leave as you journey through life. And if you made the decision to follow Jesus, at some point you recognize throughout your life that there was something missing. There's a gap, even on the, all effects and actions and taken in your life, there's a hole there that couldn't be filled with anything else from God. And you believed in Jesus, and you were baptized in his name, and you repented, and you confessed him. And it was at that moment that there was a break in your domino effect in your life. All the things that had been set up and all the things that were falling down and all the things that were being knocked over and put in motion in your life, it all stopped. And the dominoes were all reset and they were all put back up. And one of the things that we get to do in that moment, in that spiritual break and change in the domino effect of our life, is we get to accept this invitation into a new creation, new life way of living that God offers through his son Jesus, and that you and I get to be a part of the spiritual impact and consequence that God wants us to have on his free will, sin-broken, Jesus-redeemed creation. And as disciples of Jesus, we get to take time to consider what kind of domino effect we are making with our lives. What are we leaving behind in our life journey, in our faith journey? The intentional and unintentional consequences of having our heart soul, and mind transformed, what does that look like as I live my life? If love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control are the fruit of the Spirit that are supposed to be modeled and lived out and accomplished in our life as we follow God and His Spirit, and this is what our lives should be moving forward, and this is what we should be leaving in our wake, we ask, all right, what kind of effect is my life leaving? Is this the fruit that's being developed? The people, people, when they feel the impact of the events and actions that I choose to take part of in my life, like what is the legacy that I leave? What is my domino effect? We all have one. We all have intended, intentional, and unintentional consequences and impacts as part of our life. So how much of that is something that we're deciding to let God take part of in the way that he is designed? And how much of that are we guided to the specific chain reaction that Jesus calls us to when he gives us our mission for living our faith in this life? This is a conversation that Jesus has to have with his closest followers pretty regularly. And so this morning we're going to be looking at a time in Mark chapter 10 where Jesus is talking to his disciples and they're asking some questions about life and what to expect and it's very obvious as Mark is writing this and he's recording these events that Jesus has just talked about and predicted his death for the third time in Mark's gospel. And on the heels of that, the disciples show that they still haven't quite gotten why Jesus came and how he came. 
And so we're going to be looking at this conversation that happens in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through through 45. I'm going to read 42 through 45, but I want to kind of set the stage for you and what's going on and what's happening. These two, uh, two guys, these two brothers, James and John, come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, we want you to do something for us, whatever we ask. And so they, they kind of treat Jesus, you know, like none of us have ever done. Dear Jesus, I want you to give me green lights all the way back to work. Or, Dear Jesus, please let me pass this test I didn't study for. Dear Jesus, I follow you. I've been good for the last couple of weeks, so I'm going to need you to do me a favor. It's that thing that we do, we've done with our parents before. It's like, hey, um, I want to just tell me yes, that I can do what I'm about to ask you. I don't want to ask you because I don't actually want to hear your answer. I just want you to let me do whatever I want to do. And this is how James and John approach Jesus. Which is actually, um, a side note, not exactly uh, how they approach Jesus. Matthew actually sells out James and John because he lets us know that they actually hide behind their mom. <laughs> they have their mom come up to Jesus in Matthew chapter 20. Mark, Mark is just like letting you know what happened. This is what happened. Matthew just straight up sells out James and John. So they hide behind their mom. They're like, Mom, can you go up to Jesus and get him to do whatever we want for us? Like, like can, you, can you do that for us? And so Jesus looks over at James and John and says, what, what do you really want? All right, spit it out. What do you want? And so they answer. He said, hey, what we really want you to do is that when you come into your glory, when you establish your earthly, earthly kingdom and become king and you usher in this new era for the Israelite nation, we want to sit on your left hand and on your right. When they ask this, they've completely missed what Jesus has come to do. He hasn't come to set up this earthly kingdom. He's come to die for humanity's sin. And so the answer that they get and that they're looking for, they're about to be really disappointed in because a relationship with God is not transactional. This is not how God works. In fact, this is a way a lot of times we try to control God in our life. We say, hey, God, you know, if I do this, then I'm really expecting you to do this for me. And so we're kind of the puppet master trying to pull the strings on God and get him to do what we want. This is what James and John is doing. This is what they're doing in this conversation with Jesus. And he says, okay, so this is what you want. Are you going to be willing to go through what I go through to get this? Do you think you can take the cup that I have to drink from? And do you think you can be baptized with the baptism I have to drink from? Or I have to be immersed with and experience? And the reason he asked them that is because they still haven't grasped that this idea of following Jesus is going to be fully immersive. That this is going to completely change their lives in ways that they don't expect. They say, oh, we, we can. Yeah, absolutely. Because they're expecting, oh man, we'll do just about anything to be able to have this position of power, to be able to punch our ticket to glory. And so we can't wait for this. This is going to be amazing. And Jesus says, well, guess what? I can't promise you any places in the kingdom, but you're definitely going to drink from the cup that I drink from. And you're definitely going to be baptized with the baptism, baptism that I am baptized with. And completely ironically for them, they're thinking, this is great. This is going to be amazing. Well, side note, James becomes the first of Jesus' apostles traditionally, that is martyred for his faith. And his brother John goes on to be the oldest who lives lonely in exile in Patmos because of following Jesus. So what, what inspires them to move from this idea that the reason I follow God is because I want something from him and for what he's going to do in my life to living for him no matter what happens in their life? What is the thing that Jesus says and lives out in their lives that changes how they approach even their belief in God and how they live out their faith. 
Well, the other ten of Jesus' close disciples are ticked with James and John, but based on what Jesus says next, it's probably only because they had beaten them to the punch in asking the same question. So he gathers them all together, and he says this in verse 42. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. As Jesus says this, he said, you must, you must be willing to be the kind of person who takes directives and commands from others. In verse 44, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And when we read this word slave, it's not, it doesn't mean what we typically think a slave means. This is actually someone who willingly sells themselves as a servant to someone else. In verse 45, this is the kicker and this is the foundation and chain reaction that Jesus sets off in his disciples' lives. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The way God has called us to order our lives doesn't begin with the pursuit of a position of power and enjoying a status of honor. It's not about punching a ticket and then waiting until we get there. Greatness in the kingdom of God, the lead domino for a life that is moving toward God, takes its cue from Jesus, this humble path of service and suffering and self-sacrifice, which will involve his death, are both an example to his followers of how to live, and it's the redemption that he offers them to be reconciled back to God. Jesus' own inner circle, James and John were two of the three that were the inner, inner circle of Jesus' followers, even after Jesus predicts his death a third time, primarily concerned with position and power that they were hopeful for, in what they perceived the kingdom of Jesus was about to enter, the kingdom Jesus was about to usher in. And the question to the Son of God is essentially, all right, so what can you actually offer me? So, so God, like what, what can you provide for me? I'm, I'm gonna follow you, I'm gonna believe in you, and I'm gonna live my life for you. So what, so what you got in return? And Jesus' response to them is like, man, if that's how you're thinking, if that's, if that's how you're approaching this and what God has done through Jesus, then, then you might not even want what's being offered, and what he came to give. The way in which we commit to living out our faith in Jesus and this idea of not coming to be served but to serve is directly related to the intentional and unintentional ways that we impact others to become disciples of Jesus Christ. The way we serve reflects our understanding of how Jesus came to serve and why he came. The resurrection of Jesus ripples throughout history because of the changed lives of Christians who saw this happen and who devoted themselves not based on what they could get from God, but to what they could do with God and being a part of serving each other and others, and that caught the attention of the rest of the world. And this is the cycle, this is the chain reaction, this is the domino effect that that causes a church like Velocity to exist. This is the thing that sustains us is that the reason we're here is not just to celebrate the fact that God has made all of our lives perfect and everybody's happy all the time, right? Because that's true for all of us all the time, right? But, but it's to serve because of what God has done for us. That our chain reaction as a church, like if I were to let you know, just an overview, this is just an overview of what happens once Sunday service ends on Velocity and how this body of Christ comes together and works together, maybe you would be surprised to hear how much time and effort people put into serving each other so that others can be led toward Jesus. 
So let me give you a little chain reaction. This is not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination, but here's some of the things and some of the roles in which people serve that God has called us to here at Velocity. Think about after Sunday, people leave. Well, the trash is cleaned up. Finances are stewarded. The cycle of administrative tasks continues. Services are evaluated and planned for. Current and future opportunities assessed and planned for. Small groups are planned for. Material developed and shared and attended. Homes are cleaned. Food food is prepped. Prayers are requested and given. There's some landscaping here and there. Building clean. Tables and chairs arranged. Supplies restocked. Breakfast and lunch and dinner and coffee connections taking time for. Research and planning for events and classes undertaken. There's maintenance. Ministry partners are supported, sadness mourned, gladness celebrated, tears shed, stories shared, needs provided for, practice undertaken, articles written, availability scheduled, communication planned, talents and abilities and gifts developed, planned for, and shared, tech prepped, coffee prepped, communion prepped, food prepped, people prayed for, church prayed for, alarm clock set, teams on time and prepared. I thought about trying to do all this in one breath. Hearts and minds directed toward God, hospitality given, kids, youth, and adults shown Jesus, corporate worship shared in, discipleship engaged in, body of Christ lived in, presence of the Holy Spirit rested in, glory, honor, praise to God given. Those are some of the roles in which the body of Christ serves. Not based on an understanding of wanting simply to do things for God because of what he's done, but to be with God and how he's working in and through our lives and the lives of his church, not just here at Velocity, but across the globe. Roles, by the way, in which everyone is invited to be a part. And I know we, don't all, we say, hey, there's opportunities to serve and sign up and stuff, and we'll get you plugged in, that kind of thing. But you may have noticed that out in our lobby, we actually have some boards out there very specifically for you. And some of those are regular things that we have here at Velocity. Some of those are brand new things. But the reason that we have opportunities to serve and places to plug in and check out and be a part of and ways to use our talents and abilities is not to create busy work for us to like keep ourselves distracted as we live life, but it's to take part in what God is actively doing in and among us to lead others to him. Helping people find Jesus and love God is the mission that we've adopted as a church. And those who love God in turn serve and help others so they can find Jesus, so they can love God. Chris Folmsby writes in Gladhearted Disciples, the reality is that a community isn't for you, it is with you. True community can only be attained both in, organi- both in organization and in essence when the people in the community choose to forego being the primary person whose needs are met. This is community, giving up your own self for the sake of the other so that you bring yourself to the community as a gift to serve others first. Just as our relationship with God is not transactional, our relationship with each other is not transactional. If we see them as that, and if that's all we expect is like, what you do for me, maybe I'll consider doing for you, but I I really want to know what you have to offer for me, all we'll end up with is disillusionment when it comes to our relationship with each other and God. See, Jesus flips the script And he shows that God is not concerned about what you and I can do for him. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. Because there's nothing that we have that we can offer God that he needs. 
But he does invite us in to be a part of what he's doing. He's giving, Jesus is giving his disciples and us a glimpse of what it looks like to live with God himself. And the only posture that fits within the nature and character of God is serving. Jesus paid the ransom price for spiritual liberation for humanity invites us into that, and invites us into that same resurrection life. The chain reaction you and I are meant to leave behind, the goal is that life is an example for others that leads to redemption. The chain reaction of redemption is revealed then in the life of the one who serves. I just want to give you a picture of what that looks like for me personally and how I've experienced that. I know some of you did not grow up in church, and some of you like come to church for the first time. You're not, that's not something that, that you're used to doing. But, but just so you know, like for me, growing, growing up in church, I think about my Sunday school teachers that were there Sunday in and Sunday out. I think of my mom, who's one of my Sunday school teachers, Mrs. Nelson, who is another, Mr. Demachik, who is another. And as I think back on them, I don't remember anything that they taught me. My mom, because she got to reinforce some things at home, uh, so, so there are definitely some things that I remember. But there's nothing that I remember from my, from my Sunday school teachers that like, was kind of this mind-blowing thing that I've based a foundation of my belief in following Jesus after that has like, caused my life to end up there. There's not just one thing that I look back on there, but you know what the impact that they left was? It's the fact that they were there, and they cared, and that they were, they were sharing Jesus with me based on what they had, he had done for them. That was the impact and legacy that they get to live. That's the chain reaction that impacts me still today and how I'm here and talking with you now and sharing that same story. That's the chain reaction that we're invited into. That's what Jesus establishes in his kingdom. Jesus advocates for an extremist policy of love that's built on serving others so that others might be saved and led toward God themselves. We're called to live a life with God so that others can meet him where we are. That's why our church is here. That's why the church was established. So I want to read these words from Paul in Philippians chapter 2. And I want you to think about what Jesus says in, Matthew, in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 42, verse 45, as he says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want you to think about these words because as Paul is writing this, there's a section in this passage of Scripture, verses 6 through 11, that if, you, if you're reading your Bible, it may look offset. Well, the reason is a lot of people think, scholars think that this is a poem or even a hymn that the early church sang as they reminded each other of what God had done and how we're supposed to relate to them. And so here's how Paul sets this up in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Philippians. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So think about the words of this, the poem, the hymn that's being shared in the church. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So the next few weeks, as we consider what it looks like to live out our faith as disciples of Jesus, and as we consider where we can plug in and serve within God's kingdom here at Velocity in his church, Serving is not simply something we do for God as if he needs us to accomplish his will. Serving is what we do because we want to be in his presence and invite others into it as well. Serving is where he is and where he's working, and it's the chain reaction that Jesus used as he paid the ransom for the sin of the world. And every week at Velocity, we celebrate that together with communion. You'll notice there are people getting up, people that are serving, people that are serving communion. People that are serving in the band as they're leading us in corporate worship, which is what we're here for when we come together on Sunday, is worship together to glorify God as he is the audience. And people are, are doing this not, not simply because it's something to do that we have here on Sunday, but it's a direct correlation to what God is doing and has done for us, and it's the message of the gospel that we're called to share. So let's pray as we celebrate and take communion together this morning. God, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for the um, countercultural and unique example that he gives us with his life, that this is not about what we can get out of it while we're here, uh, but this, this is how, about, how we can be a part of, of what you're doing for us, that you're giving everything of yourself so that we might be redeemed to you. God, we ask that um, through your spirit, you lead us in this resurrected life that the chain reaction, whether it's intentional or unintentional in our life, the impact that we leave behind us is one that leads others to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.